You know, sometimes when you go to church, uh, and, and I'm speaking, or somebody else is speaking, I know how it is because I've been there, and I've sat through some of these. You go, boy, the pastor really laid it on so-and-so today. You know, you, as, as the pastor's preaching or teaching, you think, I'm glad so-and-so's here tonight or today. I sure hope they're listening. And if they're not here, you shake the preacher's hand as you're going out the door and you say, Pastor, if they'd have been here, you would have gotten them. Um, and you also can, in those kind of situations, you always walk out the door with a smile on your face because you felt pretty good about yourself. You felt pretty good about what was shared and, and that was for somebody else. Uh, that's not what this Bible study is. Uh, this Bible study is going to address something that we all struggle with. And I want the all to be capital A, capital L, capital L. We all struggle with what we're going to talk about tonight. And here's what we're going to talk about tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about the tendency that we all have, including the one speaking, the tendency that we all have to complain. All right, let's get our stuff and go out, right? <laughs> Complaining is probably one of, the, one of the sins that are most tolerated by Christians. And I think one of the reasons we tolerate it so much is perhaps we don't even think of it as sin. We're so prone to do it. It comes so easily that we oftentimes don't even realize the sin we're committing. And so tonight, for whatever reason, and by the way, nobody's asked me to preach this and I'm not aiming for anybody. Uh, but for whatever reason, I, I just felt led to... to Throw this stinking microphone off. <laughs> Let me complain about it for a minute. <laughs> I love the true story I read recently of a godly woman who hit her limit on the family grumbling. She made a new meatloaf, a new recipe uh, for her family for dinner one night. And from the moment she sat the dish on the table, nobody had anything good to say about it. They said things like, what's this? Oh, that smells funny. What's that stuff on the top of it? Well, why didn't you make what we, the way we usually eat it? Do I have to eat that? And finally, when she heard, do I have to eat that, she picked up the meatloaf without saying a word. She opened the patio door and she chucked the meatloaf, dish and all, across the backyard fence. <laughs> and some of you ladies are thinking, nah, yeah, that's what I'll do next time. When I read that story, I chuckled, but then I really chuckled when I thought about the guy in the, in the yard behind that house when he one day walked outside and said, why is there a meatloaf in my backyard? Can I ask you a question? Did, I mean, she hit her limit, right? Do you ever think God gets tired of our complaining? Yeah, he does. If you read your Bible, God gets tired. Of our complaining, we we I'm I, I'm debating about how far to take this, and we might come back to it next week. I'm not sure. We may be starting a different study next week. But if you read the Old Testament, man, the Old Testament's full of the children of Israel complaining, 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 and eventually God chucks the meatloaf over the back fence and says, "All right, I'm done with it." Let me ask you some questions. I'm going to ask you to participate with me tonight, and. Uh, so I need you to talk to me. It'll make the Bible study uh, more interesting for all of us. What does complaining do to our spirits? Just 
it's not a biblical answer here, just in your own personal opinion. What, what does complaining do to our spirits? Robs the joy. I like that. What else? Who said that? Yeah, dissatisfied. You become dissatisfied. In fact, that's exactly what I put on my notes. It said it fuels your dissatisfaction. What else? Damages relationships. What else? Have ungrateful hearts. I had another one I thought about. It affects your outlook on life. What does it do to your outlook on life? You, you become more negative, don't you? Yeah, nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's ever right. What? Makes you bitter. And, and you know, when taken to the extreme, you know what else it does? It not only affects your outlook on life, it affects your outlook on God. When you develop a critical spirit, a complaining spirit, and you continue to feed that, eventually it affects your outlook on God. And again... We may get into this next week. There was so much, I was trying to weed through it all. There's, but if you go into the Old Testament, you watch the children of Israel, that's exactly what happened to them. It affected the relationship with God. It wasn't just that they were kind of unhappy with something. It really began to affect their walk with God. And that's why I think one of the reasons it's so important that we understand the danger of complaining and maybe that's one of the reasons that satan keeps prodding us to keep doing it because it does affect relationships it affects the church but more importantly it affects your relationship with god so i want to make a list i started bringing out the board and write it all down but i thought i'll never write it fast enough so i, I didn't bring the board but i want to make at least a mental list what kind of things do we complain about the weather. Yeah, we, we complain about the weather. It's either too hot or it's too cold or it's raining too much or it's not raining. You know, on and on and on. The weather, that's a good one. What else? Politics. Whichever party you like, there's always a party you don't like. And even the party you do like, you probably don't like it very much. Especially this day and time. What else? Family. What, did somebody else say something else? Health, yeah. Boy, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, you know, we're, well, we won't go there. That's too personal for me. <laughs> what else? <laughs> you got to hear this in the back in case you didn't hear it. Miss Evelyn, I love her today. She's sitting on the front row here, so or the second row. She said, I had one today. The church was cold, <laughs> nearly froze to death. And you know what, Miss Evelyn? When I came in, this is my hand in the air. When I came in, and I'm, I love her, but I'm going to pick on her. When I came in, Jamie said, it's too hot in here. <laughs> so, but... <laughs> so, so, that's a perfect illustration of you know, no matter what you do, you can't make everybody happy, right? You know, it's either too hot or it's too cold, and we, we myself included, if it's not the way we want it, then it's, it's easy to complain about it, right? Now, it's, it's good that we can laugh about it, uh, but, but that's the human tendency. What else? Let's make a list. What else do we complain about? Income. Income or lack thereof. How about taxes? 
Oh, yeah. Now we're hitting close to home, aren't we? What? The price of groceries. Yeah, the price of groceries. Trying to go out and... I went with Lisa not long ago. I could not believe it. Like a box of cereal was four or five dollars. It just blew my mind. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't know Fruit Loops was going to be that expensive. What else do we complain about? <laughs> At least he's honest. And all the husbands saying, I would say why, but I ain't dumb. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, we complain about our relationships, absolutely. The relationships we have and, you know, um, I'll tell you a good one that's coming up. Just one or two more and we'll be done with this part of it. But I'll tell you another good one that's coming up. All the, the folks going off to school, you college kids going off to school, you get the syllabus. What's the first thing you do? Man, yeah, chuck it and forget about it. <laughs> no, you start complaining about, we got to write five papers, we got to read three books, and we got to do this, we got to do that. It's so easy just to look at everything and just complain about it, just to get angry about it. Uh, so it happens all the time. Now, give me one or two more, and then we're going to launch into the Bible. Yes. Listen, listen, that ain't complaining. That's just the truth. <laughs> 153 is getting to be like Woodruff Road, isn't it? Yeah, that's a perfect traffic, 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 traffic. Um, oh, I got a great, I'm going to save it. I got a great story from this weekend or this week, but I'm going to save it for later. Give me one more. Give me one more. Oh. <laughs> You can tell us a story later, all right? <laughs> What's bad is when the neighbors complain about you. <laughs> and I've had that one too. Uh, all right, there's a verse. We're going to be in the New Testament and the Old Testament, time willing, uh, Lord willing, time willing tonight. But there's a verse that I want to start out with about complaint. I told you it's all over the Bible. Uh, if, if you want to do a good study sometime, you can look up the word grumbling or look up the word complaining You'll see it all over the Bible. But the one I want to start out with is found in Philippians chapter 2. It's a verse that you probably need to memorize, and I put in my notes, me too, uh, just so I would re remind myself. It's a verse we probably all need to memorize. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, we're not going to study it in detail because what I'm thinking right now is <clears throat> in the next week or two, we will likely start a new study, a book study, and right now I'm kind of leaning towards the book of Philippians. And, and so we'll probably launch a verse-by-verse -verse study of Philippians here in a week or two. And so this is a verse we'll come back to, so I'm not going to get too deep with it. But I do want to read it and make a few observations. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. <clears throat> do everything without complaining. Or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Now, I told you we're going to do a deeper study of this book, so let me just hit this on a surface level. Paul uh, tells the Philippians and us, he says, I want you to do everything, or some translation says, all things, 
without grumbling or complaining or disputing. Now, when I read that, I, I, I was thinking something along these lines. Maybe you think it too. I wish Paul had been a little bit more realistic. I wish he'd been a little bit more down to earth. He could have said, try to do most things without grumbling. And I could have handled that one. He could have said, try to do most things without complaining. That's realistic, isn't it? I can give that a try. But the hard thing about this verse, depends on what translation you use, the hard thing about this verse for me is the second word of verse 14. What's the second word? Everything. Yeah, 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 but what about when I have to deal with AT&T? Or whatever company you're dealing with, right? Well, what about when I've got this customer, you know, I'm in sales and I get this customer and he or she raked me over the coals for something I didn't do. I mean, there, there's going to be a hundred different things happening this week and you're going to have every reason in the world and every right to complain about it. It's going to be too cold, it's going to be too hot, it's going to be too something. And there's something going to happen this week, and you're going to have every reason to complain about it. And it's amazing. So let's just read the verse, verse 14, out loud again. Let's say it together uh, out loud. If you have the NIV, read it with me. <clears throat> Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Now, help me take that apart real quickly. Help me take this apart. Why does he say we should do everything without complaining? Say it again. Say it louder. All right, so we, we can become blameless. What does that mean? Without, okay, without fault. Where does he say we're living? Yeah. You're living among a crooked generation and you're supposed to shine like bright stars in the darkness. Shortest translation. I saw a video uh, just, to, I think it was today I saw it. It might have been last night, but I think it was today. And uh, bear with me, it... It'll make sense to you, I think. But I saw a video of Tim Tebow. I, I, I think Tim Tebow is a fabulous man of God and a great witness. I saw a video where recently in, in a ball game, he was hit with the pitch, which is normal in baseball. But he was hit with the pitch so hard. The pitch hit him in the, in the head. He was hit with the pitch so hard it knocked his helmet off. I mean, literally, he was standing there. He, and he went like that and it hit him in the head and his helmet went flying. Now, what I've seen over and over and over uh, in major league games that I've seen uh, when things like that happen, what, what normally happens in that scenario? What? Ch charge the mound. Charge the mound. You, you're going to go take that guy out. You're going to give him some of what he gave you. All right? Here's what happened. He's standing in the batter's box. He gets hit with a pitch like... Well, he's left-handed. Right. <laughs> he gets hit with his pitch, and the helmet goes flying, and here's what he did. He laid the bat down, and he just kind of shaking his head, and he walks to first base. 
That was a small thing. But when I saw that, I thought, that's, that's not normal. That's not the way most of the team would react. And I wondered, as I watched that video, I wondered, I wonder what the other guys on the team thought about when they saw Tebow take, I mean, I've never seen anybody take a shot like that where literally his helmet just went flying. And he just laid his bat down and put his head down and started walking towards first base. Well, let me tell you something. We're all going to get hit sometime this week. And how you respond when you get hit determines whether or not you're shining like light in the darkness. Paul says here, you're living in a crooked generation. You're living in a, in a crooked generation and you're going to get hit hard. And you're going to have legitimate reasons to complain. You're going to have legitimate reasons to grumble. And when you do, you'll be living like all the other crooked people in that dark world. But when you take the hit and you don't complain, when you just kind of lay your back down and walk towards first base, when you don't do what the rest of the people are doing, just look at how Paul describes it here. It is a beautiful description. So, verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. You see... Our testimony is on the line here. You need to hear that. Our testimony is on the line. Our testimony as children of God requires that, that we be marked not by our grumbling, that we be marked not by our complaining, but we be marked by something else, something different. Here's something to think about. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about the fact that complaining is self-focused? I mean, it really is. It's self-focused. It causes us to forget all that we have and all that God has done for us. Uh, I, I, I did a little bit. Of, I'm, I'm, I try to be transparent with you. I did a little bit of that this afternoon. I had a little bitty, 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 bitty complaint this afternoon that, that I shared with my wife. And she pulled up right here in the parking lot. She was bringing me back to church after lunch. And she pulled up in the parking lot and she put it in park. She said, let me tell you something, Keith Shorter. Do you know what it's like to be married to the Holy Spirit? <laughs> but she was exactly right. She was exactly right. See, here's the sad thing. We all are going to do that occasionally. I did it this afternoon in, in a little way. But we're all going to do that. But here's what I'm getting at. The sad thing is that for some people, complaining becomes their default. Complaining becomes the way they deal with everything. And when complaining becomes your default... When it becomes your first response, when things don't go your way, then that's when you begin to lose your testimony. That's when you begin to lose your joy. That's when you begin to lose your witness. 
and, and here's what I know. I wrote this down in my notes. When you have a complaining attitude, the Spirit of God is not in control of your heart. All you got to do is all you got to do is read Galatians five, the fruit of the spirit, and you won't find complaining on that list. Complaining is not the fruit, not one of the fruits of the spirit. But what is on the fruit of the spirit? Oh, things like joy and peace, and patience, you know, those kind of things. So when we, when we when complaining becomes our default, the spirit of God is not in control of our hearts, and sometimes he's not in control of our mouth. Oh, oh by the way, everybody look up here. I want your pastor to show you something very, very important. You know one of the easiest way to complain these days? I'm just going to get on Facebook, and I'm just going to let them know what I think. Now, what you're going to do, you're going to get on Facebook and look like an idiot, and you're going to mess up your testimony. Well, I'm just going to contact that company, and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to get on Twitter. I'm going to burn this thing up right now. No, what you're going to do is, you're going to let that seed of anger find fertile soil. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to get this exactly right. I'm just trying to help you understand the dangers of a complaining spirit. Now, let me ask you this question because I do want your response. Is it, is it legitimate sometimes to complain? I mean, I used AT&T. If AT&T has just messed up your bill or they didn't come and, t and hook up something when they were supposed to, is it legitimate to complain? Talk to me. And what would that be? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you said it that way, Peggy. What I'm not saying tonight is, if you're a good Christian, you won't ever say anything negative. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, if you want to walk with Christ, you need to guard your heart. And sometimes you need to guard your mouth, myself included. Because what I have learned is that Satan will, Satan will do his best to keep prodding you to be dissatisfied. He wants as best he can to keep fueling this idea that you deserve more or better and you're dissatisfied. And your spirit begins to shrivel. Because you've let that kind of discontentment and anger begin to take root. So, here's where we're going to try to head for the next few minutes. <clears throat> what do you do? What do you do when life is hard and you get frustrated and you're ready to throw the meatloaf over the fence? How do you handle that? It's, you, you might be interested to know that in the Old Testament... Uh, this, this idea of frustration and complaining and grumbling is, is, is found lots of places, but one of the places that it's found is in Psalm 13. Would you go to Psalm 13? And the reason we're going to look at Psalm 13 is this. Eventually, I want you to make sure you hear this.
eventually when you complain and that becomes a way of life for you, that becomes your default, that becomes something you do on a regular basis, maybe on a daily basis. Eventually, when you complain, you not only get dissatisfied with life, as I said earlier, you get dissatisfied with God. And for some of you, it might be that life is hard right now, and you've become so much of a complainer that now you constantly are complaining to God. That's a miserable place to be, isn't it? When you feel like God's let you down, when you feel like God hasn't answered your prayer, when you feel like God hasn't come through, when you're tired of waiting on God, when you feel like God could have done something, should have done something, needs to do something, and, and, and before long, you begin not only to complain to one another, you begin to complain to God. Now, first of all, the audacity of all of us, myself included, the audacity of all of us to think, I'm going to complain to Almighty God creator of the universe I'm going to complain to him but yet we all do and listen to this and they did in scripture too I want you to go to Psalm 13 because I want to talk about complaining from the aspect of what do you do when your complaint is not with AT&T what do you do when your complaint is with God here's what you do you go to God with an honest question And I bet you'll find the question as you start reading Psalm 13, <clears throat> verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I mean, let's pause right there. This is not somebody that's having a good day, is it? This is not somebody that's happy and saying, well, praise the Lord, everything. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. That, that's not who this is. This is a person, and by the way, it was written by David. This is a person who is complaining about life, and eventually complaining about God. Verse 3. He actually has the audacity to say, Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And then all of a sudden, look at verse 5, it all changes. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Wow, what a change. There's an outline here that we'll just take a few minutes to, I called it an outline on how to pour your heart out to God. See, when you have that complaining spirit, especially when it's complaints, eventually complaints against God, what do you do with that? Well, you pour your heart out to God, and I'm going to give you an outline, four steps, if you want to take notes. Four steps on how to pour your heart out to God. When you've got a complaint... When you feel like God has shortchanged you, when you feel like God has not come through, when you feel like God should have done something different or better or quicker, whatever. Four ways to pour your heart out to God. Here's the first one. And it's all based just on Psalm 13. Here's the first step. Number one, verbalize your pain. Verbalize 
your pain. And you might put in parentheses, not to others, but to God. This is not going around telling others about how bad life is. This is not telling others about how horrible things have been for you. That's not what we're talking about. No, they've heard you say that a lot of times. No, you need to verbalize your pain to God. And I love the way David does this. David, by the way, do you know the background behind Psalm 13? It's believed that the background behind Psalm 13 is that David had a physical illness. And it was a physical illness for which he could not, he was not recovering. It was not getting better. And he probably had prayed for it to get better and it hadn't. He probably had, had asked for God's healing and he wasn't healed. And, and it was an ongoing physical ailment where he, he could not experience, he wasn't experiencing God's healing. He wasn't getting any better. And so he asked a very legitimate question. Verse 1, how long, O Lord? And then he was very transparent as he verbalized his pain. He said, will you forget me forever? God, it's like you have forgotten me. How long is it going to be? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Then then verse 2, boy, talk about being transparent. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? If you write in your Bible, but right beside that verse, you might want to write this reference. Psalm 6, verse 3. A cross-reference, if you will. Psalm 6, verse 3. Let me read it to you. Psalm 6, verse 3 says, My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? So verbalize your pain. Just explain to God. Feel free to ask God those how long questions and just verbalize your pain. Step number two. When you need to pour your heart out to God, step number two is this. Make your case. Verses three and four. Make your case. Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. You know what David was saying? God, if you don't heal me, I'm going to die. That's what that verse is talking about. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Lord, if you don't heal me, I'm going to die and all of my enemies are going to be rejoicing about it. God, I don't think that's what you want. And so he's making his case for God to heal him. He's making his case for God to hear him. So verbalize your pain, step one. Step two, make your case. Step three. State your trust in God. Verse 5. But, even though I've been wondering for a long time how long, even though I'm still not healed, even though I'm still struggling and anxious about my health, but, I trust in your what, church? Your unfailing love. You know what David was saying? David was saying, my illness doesn't change the fact that you love me. This physical ailment doesn't change the fact that you love me. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices 
in your salvation. David stated his trust in God in the midst of his pain. You know when trust is hardest? Trust is hardest. Now, now hang on, make sure you hear this. Trust is hardest when you're not sure if you can trust him. Right? David has been waiting for a long time. David has been hoping for a long time. He's probably been praying for a long time. And yet, then he says, But I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. And step number four is this. Verse number one, step one, verbalize your pain. Step two, make your case. Step three, state your trust in God. Step four, commit yourself to praise. Not P-R-A-Y, P-R-A-I-S-E. Commit yourself to praise. David says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Got a new perspective, didn't he? And he decided, you know what? In the midst of my pain, I will sing to the Lord. In the midst of my anxiety, I will sing to the Lord. In the midst of my wondering how long, I will turn that into a song. And I will sing to the Lord. And as I'm waiting for Him, I will sing to the Lord. And as I am anxious about what tomorrow holds, I will sing to the Lord. And when I feel the urge to complain and, 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 and just throw the meatloaf over the fence... I'll sing to the Lord. Because in the process of singing to the Lord, you suddenly are no longer focusing on yourself. Remember we talked about complaining, and so is self-focused. But in the process of singing to the Lord, remember, he doesn't just say, I'm singing. I mean, you can sing country and western, it's not going to help you a whole lot. He said, I'm singing to the Lord. In that process of singing to the Lord, something happens in your spirit. So, tomorrow when you get hit by that pitch and you feel like charging the mound, drop the bat, walk to first base, and walk with Jesus. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much for speaking to me and reminding me and perhaps all of us that our complaining never makes us more like Christ. Lord, I've never seen a Christian who was a complainer that, that I looked at and thought, boy, that, that's a strong Christian. Remind us this week that our complaining never makes us like Christ. Help us to be satisfied and content in you this week. And even when we have to ask how long, O oh Lord, may we eventually turn our heads heavenward and sing our praises to your name. Still trusting, though still waiting. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.